Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me on this fine day here. My name is Liam Sturgis, and I am your host for this Rounding the Earth podcast. This is the second video in the era of new video content from this channel, following a wonderful inaugural show on Tuesday in the form of a roundtable discussion with Dr. Jessica Rose and Chris Masterjohn. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you go check it out once you are done here. This show is a first of its own as well, kicking off our weekly news roundup segment that I am calling Rounding the News. That is until someone tells me how terrible a name that is. But I like it. The idea behind this show is to curate a number of notable or interesting pieces of news from the week behind us and share them with you, the Rounding the Earth community, but with a twist. Instead of simply summarizing what's already been said or blindly trusting the news as it's presented to us, we will use the opportunity to practice our critical thinking skills and see if we can identify and develop new tools to improve our abilities to process information in a healthy and conscious way. The topics we'll be covering will follow in the same vein as the Rounding the Earth newsletter and will be informed by the roundtable discussions we have. Whenever we get the chance, I'd like to see if we can apply knowledge gained from those diverse, in-depth conversations and allow them to spark our curiosity here on this show. I'm also specifically going to source from a broad variety of news outlets in both the mainstream and alternative media spaces, and if at all possible, seek alternative perspectives on each issue. But without further ado, let's dive into our news stories for this week. Now, I admit, there's been a lot that's happened since I originally put together this show. So I'm going to go ahead and fly by the seat of my pants a little bit and summarize some of the craziness that the world has seen in a very short amount of time. So, Japanese ex-leader Shinzo Abe assassinated while giving speech. Now, I first heard this story as it was breaking last night. And uh, the news as it was being summarized on Twitter, I admit, was at first uh, a little um, unclear as to what the cause of uh, this event could have been. The language being used suggested he had collapsed and that he had entered a cardiopulmonary um, cessation. He wasn't breathing and his heart had stopped. So I admit my initial reaction to uh, the events as they as the initial reports were coming in. Um, let's just say I didn't necessarily buy that there had been a shooting uh, at first and I decided to wait for more information. And that's thing number one. That's that's just a good takeaway, I think, is especially when news is breaking, take the uh, the assertions of anybody with a grain of salt. So, Japanese ex-leader Shinzo Abe assassinated while giving speech. Now, of course, it's been, um, you know, 12 to 18 hours, so we have more information. Abe was shot from behind minutes after he started his speech Friday in Nara in western Japan. So, this is an article from the Toronto Star. Let's see what they have to say. Abe, 67, was shot from behind minutes after he started his speech. He was airlifted to a hospital for emergency treatment, but was not breathing, and his heart had stopped. He was pronounced dead later at the hospital, NHK said. Police arrested the suspected gunman at the scene of an attack that shocked many in Japan, and I would argue, around the world. 
Abe was Japan's longest serving leader before stepping down in 2020. Now, interestingly, I wasn't aware that he had stepped down. I admit, I thought he was still the uh, the current um, prime minister. And what that tells me is I haven't been paying very much attention to Japanese politics. And to be fair, Japan, in my mind, has seemed to be a rather stable and, and uncontroversial country, um, even during some rather turbulent political and uh, uh, public health times. Um, uh, and and we'll get to something in a minute that uh, that maybe shows uh, that uh, other other parts of the world felt the same way compared to other world leaders. Um, Nara Prefectural Police confirmed the arrest of Tetsuya Yamagami, 41, on suspicion of attempted murder. So at first, well, let me find the piece here because. Um, well, this is interesting. Police arrested the suspected gunman at the scene of an attack that shocked many in Japan, which is one of the world's safest nations and has some of the strictest gun control laws anywhere. Now, gun control, I think we can all agree, or rather guns and their use in general are things, it's a topic that affects us all, uh, you know, in slightly different ways around the world, but particularly in the United States, this is a huge issue. It's become that way in Canada as well. Uh, especially over the last month. And um, it's interesting that an event like this is happening in Japan, and it makes sense that this would be brought up as a, as a core issue there too. Um, Nara Medical University Emergency Department Chief Hiditata Fukushima said Abe suffered major damage to his heart in addition to two neck wounds that damaged an artery, causing extensive bleeding. He was in a state of cardio and pulmonary arrest when he arrived at the hospital and never regained his vital signs. So unfortunately, it looks as though he was shot and killed essentially at the scene. Um, so just to, just to finish this, uh, uh, in the video uh, that is available, I'm not going to show it, but it is widely available. Um, you uh, you see uh, the man standing dressed in a navy blue suit, raising his fist when two gunshots are heard. The video then shows Abe collapsing on the street with security guards running toward him. He holds his chest, his shirt smeared with blood. So it really does at this point, just based on the widespread reporting and the video that, again, I have seen, it would seem as though he was indeed shot. So that's the Toronto Star. Now we get to the BBC, the British Broadcasting Company. He was assassinated while giving the speech. And the word assassination is is interesting because again, um, that wasn't being used right away, which I'd, I'd say is responsible of uh, of news agencies. Um, there was no claim that he had, you know, there had been an attempted assassination. Uh, but by the time I woke up this morning, um, it, Wikipedia and all of these news agencies had had changed their tone, and they were now they were saying this was an assassination. Um, and the interesting thing was this: the suspect admitted shooting Abe with a homemade gun and said he had a grudge against a specific organization, police said. Several other handmade weapons similar to those used in the attack had been confiscated after a search of the suspect's house. Explosives were also found at the home and police said they had advised residents to evacuate the area. So I'm perhaps naive on this topic, but I'm not aware... This may be the first I've heard about a homemade gun. To clarify, a homemade gun that operates like a gun not made at home. I'm very curious for more information on that. If anybody can uh, point me in the direction of not how to make one, I don't need to know that, but what exactly is a homemade gun? 
So I'll, I'll admit there are some questions that I have around this. I just I just am not familiar with that that the 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 notion of being able to make such a weapon at home that would then result, by the way, and this is why this is so important in the assassination of, by all accounts, a somewhat beloved world leader again compared to others, um, but even beloved by world leaders who tend to occupy opposite sides of most arguments. Regardless, though, any world leader, and particularly someone who, if I'm not mistaken, is a G7 leader, um, this is significant geopolitically, and I don't know what this means. But Wikipedia, while itself not a good source um, you know, to cite, it is a good summary sometimes, uh, though limited, of uh of other sources and what i uh had seen last night that has now been rearranged a little bit and i contributed to this in fact um i added a quote by justin trudeau but uh world leaders have all uh spoken out now and so for the americas for example the argentine foreign affairs minister santiago cafiero expressed condolences towards abe's family and the japanese government saying that we will accompany the japanese people in this difficult moment and that message of solidarity, of course, I think is being reflected uh, on behalf of citizens as well. Um, Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro said that Abe was a brilliant leader and a great friend of Brazil and that we stand with Japan. Very similar message coming out of Canada. It's not here, but in the quote that I had provided to the Wikipedia page, um, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had described Abe as being a friend of Canada. And uh, here we see that he said the assassination was incredibly shocking, obviously, and that the world has lost a great man of vision. So this is significant. And uh, I don't have uh, Boris Johnson's resignation as one of my stories, but it is, uh, I don't know, amazing timing. Um, I, d I don't know how to describe it. Um, obviously, Boris Johnson wasn't assassinated, thank goodness. Uh, I, I, I don't wish that on anybody ever, um, and I, I think very few rational people do, but for the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to step down or to announce his departure one day, and then for a separate, a different but allied world leader to be assassinated the following day, perhaps the best way to describe it is just well, so some people might refer to it as clown world. Uh, <laughs> I refer to it as 2022. Um, but I also uh, express my condolences um, to uh, Ave's family, who I don't know. Um, but certainly I uh, certainly I feel I feel the uh, the stress and the pain that this will cause, uh, particularly those who uh, who who do find uh, Abe to be beloved and uh, live in Japan. Um, anyway, the second biggest thing, and I, I, I don't think I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to nail all this in half an hour, but I'm going to try. So today here in Canada, something significant, Rogers outage affects wireless internet customers Canada wide. Rogers is our, is one of our big, uh, telecommunication and media companies. Um, Rogers in fact also carries uh the networks for our smaller uh some of our smaller um carriers as well uh for example freedom mobile i believe is on rogers fido's on rogers and it's down canada wide 
And this is significant. A major Rogers outage is affecting Canadians across the country, with many waking up Friday to find their wireless and internet services were down. The cause of the issue is unknown at this time. But the problem is confirmed to be affecting people nationwide. And by the way, if an entire nation has a significant chunk of its population and infrastructure and industry and government, uh, in, in some cases, offline, that's a global problem. That's not a regional outage. That's one of the geographically largest uh, and least geographically connected nations on the planet without the ability to communicate in, in a large part. Um, and I wonder how that affects international uh, communications as well. Um, so, yeah, there you go. Interac and Fido services are also reported to be down. Interac is a company that manages uh, uh, electronic money transfers. Here in Canada, Interac e-transfer is a primary method of exchanging funds between people and doing business uh, these days. So I haven't logged into my bank account, um, uh, but uh, and I also haven't heard any specific news about whether my institution has been affected. But I could see how this would interrupt business uh, in, a, in a way that will cause uh, a lot of harm. And uh, oops, so I've just opened Twitter. That was an accident. We know how important it is for our customers to stay connected. We are aware of issues concerning our networks and our teams are fully engaged to resolve the issue as soon as possible. Okay, um, moving on nice and quick. A look at how the Rogers outage is impacting London. So London, Ontario, I believe. Widespread outages with Rogers having an impact locally with emergency services and local businesses hoping for a speedy resolution. London police are asking the public to stop calling 911 to test if their phones are working. Ladies and gentlemen, there are very few reasons you should call 911. Testing if your phone is working is something I would perhaps advise against. Call 411 or any of the other 11s. We can say we've had a number of individuals call 911 to test their phone. Please don't do that. Now, look, this is not the only system that, uh, or the only time that 911 services have been affected. In fact, uh, 911 has been backed up in jurisdictions across Canada um, for unrelated, perhaps, reasons uh, for months now. Um, hospital systems unaffected. Well, that's good. Spokesperson for the London Health Sciences Centre says not going to be affected. That's great. Okay, so... Last but not least, another CBC News article. Massive Rogers outage continues, snarling telecom, banking, and government services. Government services, for example, passport uh, renewals, uh, getting a passport for the first time. Those are other services that are backed up significantly in a way that predates this. So how will this affect that? Even a single day of significant outage. Let's see. Ah, the ArriveCan app is offline. The ArriveCan app is the iPhone and Android application that the government is requiring people to use as a vaccine passport on their way back into the country. There have been calls to abolish it entirely. So I'm sure not too many people are worried about this. That being said, they must now have paper copies of vaccination status. So what if it went offline right as someone, uh, perhaps in a hurry for a good reason, is pulling up to the border they don't have a paper copy. All they've got is their app, which is no longer going to work. And they're now stuck, perhaps, in a country. Um, 
Very interesting. Okay. Debit payment services interrupted. That means even point of sale in stores. Okay, but let's move on. I want to move on to one of the three main topics I had planned for today, and here we are halfway through the show already. This is a substack by Toby Rogers. It is titled The End of COVID-19 Vaccine Safety Science in America. So here's what happened. On June 28th, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration decided that henceforth, they will choose the variants for reformulated COVID-19 shots and no clinical trials will be conducted to evaluate safety because science. And that brings us to the reason why I named the video today, this time we're trusting the science. Because it's, it's been, I think, the understanding of, of, uh, of most of the world, you know, good, trusting, not conspiracy theory people, that the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and of course their counterparts across the world, and just institutions in general have tested these things and have said, we know for sure that these are safe and that they're going to work. I'm just going to posit that perhaps they didn't work as intended. So that's check number one. Check number two, it's a lot of safety concerns. And that's the original ones. So... I'm not sure how the rest of the I'm not sure how this is meant to be taken, but this is Toby's summary. And, and we'll look at we'll look at some other sources as well. But yesterday they voted to approve a bivalent COVID-19 shot with the Wuhan strain and the Omicron variant. The vote was 19 yes to no. Here are the thoughts. Uh, I'm just going to rush through these uh, real quick. The Wuhan strain is no longer in circulation, so they are vaccinating against a strain that no longer exists. That's been a problem with the shots uh, for, I think, since they started using them, basically. The Omicron variant they're going to put into the shot is Omicron BA4 and BA5, which is, of course, in the news right now as being the scary new ones that are overtaking the other variants around the world. The Omicron variant, yep, there we go. And uh, basically, they have no efficacy, efficacy data, no safety data, and no reason at all to think it works. So that's, that's, that's just interesting. Now, I think there was some, uh, some key points. Uh, no, there's not. But I recommend you go to tobyrogers.substack.com and find this uh, piece here. There's also two interviews that he put at the end. One of them was held with the with uh on steve bannon's war room um as well as children's health defense tv um uh, i recommend people go and watch those because he summarizes uh pretty much what he says here in this article but let's look let's go directly to the source because people are going to want to say okay but that's you know the the war room that's a clearly a uh, conservative American platform with a former Trump White House official. So why would I trust anything that's said on there? Okay. Uh, all right. Children's Health Defense. Well, they're uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. anti-vaxxer. Okay. I mean, fair enough. Um, if, if, that's, uh, if that's where the, the barrier comes in. Now, and of, and of course, for those who don't know Toby Rogers, maybe they don't, they don't know to what degree they feel they can, you know, rely on, on his reporting. I would say it's, reliable but so you might want to go all right right to the fda themselves to the source and see what they say and make up your mind for yourself and this by the way 
perhaps we can make this lesson one or item to consider number one. Don't take anyone's word for anything. The notion that the news in this broad term um, or anybody who is an authority or a rep or has a reputation for being right about something, none of those things then mean that something someone says is by default reliable or even accurate across the board. As such, instead of blindly trusting what any person or any institution or any news channel says ever, be open-minded. Don't dismiss everything, but seek a second opinion. It's the same thing as if you're seeking an opinion on a medical condition. Start with someone, they give you some information, but doctors can be highly specialized, so you then see someone else maybe less specialized or specialized in a different area. Or in the case of the media, I recommend finding whatever the original source is, then find something that's intentionally not aligned. So an outlet that you know to not be of the same political leaning or you know has reported um, in a different method on a given topic in the past. And then finally, make sure you're looking not just at the institutional media or not just at the independent media. You want to look across the spectrum of, of both because everyone... Uh, everyone has different motivations for reporting the way they do. So my point is, this is the FDA's page, and you have the entire meeting um, here available to you. We're not going to play it, and here's why. It's eight hours and 42 minutes long. And I don't think anyone, including the FDA, thinks that anyone's going to sit through and watch this whole thing. But there's some very interesting discussion in here uh, that uh, uh, it's, a, it's a primary source. What Toby is describing, what he describes on the War Room and Children's Self-Defense TV, you can go, come here and verify for yourself. And I highly recommend you do and then write down what you think. Because it affects the future of how drug regulation works. Um, but how is the media covering it? So now we've got we had the independent side. We look directly at the source. Now let's look at CNBC. FDA panel recommends changing COVID shots to fight Omicron this fall. Okay. Key points in their opinion, Omicron is continuing to evolve into more contagious subvariants. Dr. Peter Marks, who heads the FDA vaccine division, said the U.S. faces a COVID outbreak this fall as immunity from the vaccines wanes and people spend more time indoors. Updating the shots to target Omicron could provide more durable protection against the virus, though current supporting data is limited. So to be clear, I think Toby says it in his, they've gone from evidence-based regulation to their best guess. We're just going to try this. Uh, CNBC, they admit supporting data is limited. And I also find it interesting that um, I, do a Google search and see what the other uh, mainstream agencies are saying, what their headlines are. What's the main takeaway that they have? It's not that regulations have now been adjusted subtly in a sort of unclear, not easily recognizable fashion to allow for the immediate and without clinical trial data, without safety or efficacy data, allow the spontaneous approval 
and not even approval, by the way, because none of these have, none of them, even the originals, have still not been given FDA approval. That's important to remember. So the, the speedy emergency use authorization of variations of this shot, which will be different than the original, not the same drug at all, and they're not close enough to be considered the same. I, I just, I don't, I don't quite understand what the intended outcome to that would be, other than it'll be easier for stakeholders in those products to maximize um, whatever their intended outcome is. It's also not just Omicron. Omicron BA2... If that's now being replaced by BA4 and 5, the other important thing is there were multiple companies who spoke at this meeting. There was Pfizer and Moderna and Novavax and um, perhaps a couple of others. And not only did they all say, yeah, we can do this so long as we don't have to give any clinical data. We can do it by the fall. Um, they also have different opinions on how they want to do this. The bivalent shot has the Wuhan and I think the BA2. Wuhan's gone, BA2 is gonna be gone. BA45 is so new that it's impossible for any decision to be made right now about whether they'll even be able to make one for these variants. But regardless, I'm opining now, and that's not the purpose of this show. Fierce, okay, so now we're gonna move on to the next thing. Speaking of regulatory uh, interesting decisions, so another uh, product that was given emergency use authorization because of the supposed the ongoing nature of the COVID-19 crisis, Paxlovid. Fierce Pharma reports FDA lets pharmacists prescribe F uh, Pfizer's Paxlovid easing access to COVID antiviral. So what that means is what happened at the beginning of COVID is um, I think across the world, uh, particularly in Canada and the U.S., regulations around prescribing medicines were eased. So instead of having to go through a doctor, you can now have a pharmacist make a decision to allow a drug to be dispensed, and they can write the prescription. Um, whether that's good or not uh, is, is, I think, up for discussion. What bothers me, or what, what has me asking questions, is why? Why, in particular authorize pharmacists to dispense Paxlovid at their own volition. When Paxlovid, by its nature, is still an emergency authorized product, it's, it's, it, it, meaning it hasn't undergone FDA approval. Um, and in fact, as we'll see, there are reasons to think it may not even be a good, you know, that, let's just say there may be several other supposedly, uh, well, <laughs> Depends on who you ask. There are, there are perhaps other medicines that would have made a lot more sense to treat like this that were already FDA approved. But so it's tweaked. The FDA has tweaked its emergency use authorization for Pfizer's COVID-19 pill Paxlovid, allowing pharmacists to provide the antiviral treatment to those who have been recently infected and are at risk for progressing to a severe form of the virus. The adjustment will allow greater access. We're going to call that the A word. Uh, to Paxlovid, a 30-pill regimen taken over a five-day span that can only be prescribed within a five-day window after patients develop symptoms. And it would appear as though this came from the White House, basically. The uh, FDA's decision came, comes six weeks after the White House pushed, pushed 
for greater access to the drug. Around the same time, the U.S. opened its first brick-and-mortar test-to-treat site in Rhode Island, allowing patients who test positive to immediately receive oral antiviral pills. But not just any antiviral oral pill, specifically Paxlovid. Not hydroxychloroquine. Not ivermectin. Forget just antivirals. Not any of the antibacterials or the vitamins and other over-the-counter products that don't cost anywhere near as much as these do, even if they're being given free at the point of treatment. Specifically Paxlovid. wonder why that is. But Canada doesn't want the U.S. to have all the fun. U.S. pharmacists can now prescribe COVID pills. Canada should follow suit, experts say. Now, I like this one. And I'm going to have to pull up a, uh, a page in a second. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration on Wednesday gave state-licensed pharmacists the green light to prescribe Pfizer's COVID-19 pill, also known as Paxlovid, to eligible patients. In Canada, only some provinces allow this. But the Canadian Pharmacists Association says that pharmacists in every jurisdiction, every jurisdiction, should have the authority to recommend the antiviral treatment to those that need it. Okay. The, the Canadian Pharmacists Association, there's something I want to pull up here. Um, and I, I, uh, I need to do more research on this. However, if we, are, if, if we reference, and this is the beauty of our Campfire Wiki, which can be accessed, campfire.wiki. I, had, I, th I thought the Canadian Pharmacists Association sounded familiar. So I, uh, I went in and I checked, and yes, indeed, I had done work on this. Just a very brief passing piece of research that in 2014, so not, not, not last week, um, in May and June 2014, the Canadian Pharmacists Association spotlighted a number of their sponsors, aptly titled Meet Our Sponsors. The piece lists Pfizer Canada as a titanium-level sponsor. That includes Pfizer Consumer Healthcare, as well as GenMed, which is a Canadian-based supplier of quality generic medicines with one of the world's largest bio biopharmaceutical companies. Which is also interesting because generic medicine, at this point, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, and I'm not just, I don't want to harp on just those two. There are plenty of off-patent generic medicines within Pfizer's ability to provide. So anyway, so this is checking the, checking the bias. Um, and again, this does not then mean that Pfizer, for example, bought and paid for this Global News uh, article. That's not what I'm saying. And sometimes you will find at the bottom of these articles uh, that there are notes uh, about, you know, this was paid for by, this was a sponsored uh, piece of news. That happens. That, that doesn't seem to be the case here. So anyway, just piece of information there. But there's more to Paxlovid. Isolate if you catch COVID again after taking Pfizer's pill, US CDC says. Patients who experience recurrence of COVID-19 symptoms after completing treatment with Pfizer's drug Paxlovid should isolate again for five days, the US Center for Disease Control and Prevention said in an advisory issued on Tuesday. Dozens of individuals have reported rebounding COVID-19 symptoms on social media or to the U.S. FDA after taking Paxlovid. But Pfizer suggests the experience is rare. A recent rise in COVID cases has driven up the use of therapeutics in the country. Which is an interesting sentence. Because a recent rise in COVID cases 
has also caused a rise in the use of therapeutics. There's only two therapeutics that I know of right now. There's Molnupiravir by Merck, which I'm not even sure if it's still on the market, to be honest. And there's Paxlovid. So the wording of this is just interesting because it, it sort of suggests they're saying in the, 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 the chicken hatched the egg. But I don't know. My, just based on what I'm seeing, it makes me wonder. It makes me ask the question, is it possible the reverse is the case? If the whole point of this is that people are experiencing rebound symptoms after taking Paxlovid, is it possible? I'm just asking that Paxlovid is contributing to the rise in COVID cases. Another good question would be if someone has COVID, takes Paxlovid, so let's say they're a case, but then they have rebound symptoms. So they're briefly not sick and then they have rebound symptoms. Is that a second COVID case? Because that would literally mean that Paxlovid is driving up COVID cases. I'm, I'm not saying that's the case. Okay. Moving on. Fauci, so Dr. Anthony Fauci, says he believes Paxlovid kept him out of the hospital even though he tested positive again. So Dr. Anthony Fauci himself, who's sort of the, the um, administrative and symbolic lead on basically the world's COVID response. Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Biden's top pandemic advisor, sought to discourage doubts about the antiviral drug Paxlovid following what appeared to be a rebound of COVID-19 after taking the pills. He, let's see, yeah, after disclosing he had suffered what appeared to be a rebound of COVID, after taking the, this is important as well, the five-day course of the pills. Paxlovid did what it was supposed to do. Dr. Fauci, 81, said in an interview, saying that he believed that the treatment made by Pfizer kept him out of the hospital when he first tested positive for the virus on June 15. He added that he thought the drug also reduced the severity of his initial symptoms. Again, it's interesting that the word belief is being invoked here. But because it's coming from the top authority on a topic, it certainly doesn't come across that way on a skim. But belief. Dr. Fauci takes second course of Paxlovid after suffering COVID-19 rebound. But now I'm starting to wonder, do, has anyone said this is a good idea? prior to Dr. Fauci doing this. Anthony Fauci has been on the rebound, but not in a good way. During a remote interview with the Foreign Policy Global Health Forum, maybe we'll come back to who that is, on Tuesday, Fauci indicated he's been having a Paxlovid rebound. That's a relapse of COVID-19 positivity and symptoms soon after completing a course of Paxlovid for COVID-19 and testing negative. So that would imply to me that there is a second case considered there then. Um, this has, oh, and apparently the rebound has been worse than the first time around. This has prompted him to take a second course of Paxlovid. But is this something that you should do if the virus catches you on the rebound, so to speak? Well, what does the FDA have to say? Let's find out. Rather, what does Pfizer themselves have to say? I'm not going to take Pfizer's feedback survey. Personal choice. So this is their press release from December 22nd, 2021. Pfizer receives U.S. FDA emergency use authorization for novel COVID-19 oral antiviral treatment. I'm just going to skip right to the bottom here because there's some interesting notes. 
Okay, limitation. So the authorized use, uh, what it can be used for, the emergency use of the unapproved product, Paxlovid, for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID-19 in adults and pediatric patients 12 or older with positive results of direct severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus SARS-CoV-2 viral testing. Okay. Or, or who are at high risk. Oh, and who are at high risk of progression to severe COVID, including hospitalization and death. Here's what it's not authorized to do. Not authorized for initiation of treatment in patients requiring hospitalization due to severe or critical COVID. So it has to be taken before you get to the hospital because it won't work apparently in, or, or they just don't know if it'll work in hospitalized patients. It's not authorized to use as pre-exposure or post-exposure prophylaxis for prevention of COVID-19. So you have... So that's interesting. You have to wait. Prophylaxis means it's in advance of developing symptoms. But if you've been exposed to COVID, you have positive test, but no symptoms yet. They don't want you to take it. You have to wait till you actually have symptoms. Um, I'm sure there's a logical reason for that. It just doesn't jump at me right off the bat if you know you've been infected. Uh, it's also uh, not authorized for use for longer than five consecutive days. Okay. It's also not approved... Ah, ah, interesting. It also, before I get to this, may only be prescribed for an individual patient by physicians, advanced practice registered nurses, and physicians assistants that are licensed or authorized under state law to prescribe drugs in the therapeutic class to which Paxlovid belongs, i.e. anti-infectives. That's obviously now changed. I don't know if that's something Pfizer would look at and go, we didn't tell you that that's okay. That's, that's not something we evaluated is reasonable. Anyway, last but not least, Paxlovid is not approved for any use, including for the use of treatment of COVID, and it's only authorized for the duration of the declaration that circumstances exist justifying the authorization of the emergency use authorization under so on and so forth. So there, it doesn't appear there's guidance for using it a second time within a short period. Seems like within the span of a couple of weeks. Um, there doesn't appear to be any... Um, well, I, I'm curious as to what qualifies as circumstances existing Bad news for Paxlovid, coronavirus, coronavirus can find multiple ways to evade COVID-19 drug. <laughs> Lab studies identify resistance mutations in SARS-CoV-2's protease and some circulating variants have them. Isn't this exactly the same discussion being had about the shots right now? I'm going to end here. Last but not least, controversial Jewish doctor who promoted untested COVID-19 treatment dies at 48. What does this headline tell you? If, you're, if you happen to be watching this for the very first time, what does this headline tell you? So it's true. Dr. Vladimir Zev Zelenko... Um, passed away, um, I think just over a week ago, um, of a, uh, of a lung cancer. And, um, well, this show's dedicated to Dr. Zelenko because he, uh, despite the, the, the choice of wording and the, the characterization of, of Dr. Zelenko, he, uh, has, uh, saved probably more lives than than most if you include the people who managed to learn of the treatment uh, protocol that he discovered which um which is based around hydroxychloroquine doxycycline i believe or azithromycin 
Anyway, that's not for me to say. Other than to say he he uh, he advocated for patients. Um, he contributed to the treatment of a former uh, U.S. president who caught COVID. But I will say, this doesn't seem to do him very much justice, and I'm not totally sure how that could be unintentional. New York Times. I don't. I don't want to subscribe to the New York Times. Uh, Vladimir Zelenko, 48, dies, promoted an unfounded COVID treatment. Now, yesterday I mentioned this, I showed these headlines to someone and they told me that sounds like they're saying hydroxychloroquine killed him. Or his, his unfounded COVID treatments killed him. No, 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 That's not what happened. But here's the second lesson. And this is the lesson we're ending on today. 11 minutes over time. Um, the media uh, and, and any effective communication, I think, requires the activation of emotion. And words are used as tools to accomplish that goal. So this headline... Like I said, th th this series of headlines suggests a, a, a sour taste in the mouth of the reader and perhaps even a bit of I told you so, depending on if you uh, are of the belief that um, it's dangerous to use uh, certain, certain medicines uh, against COVID or do anything other than what the FDA advises. Um, we have to look at the facts. And headlines contain very little useful information. Okay. Last but not least, the Daily Beast. Doc, who pushed sketchy COVID treatments to Trump, dies at 48. Why is this a story about Donald Trump all of a sudden? Rest in peace, Dr. Zelenko. We at, uh, at Rounding the Earth in Operation Uplift and our community, uh, we... We walk in your shoes, or at least we try to. And we're, we're going to do our best, not always to, you know, we're, just, we're, we're going to do our best. Last but not least, for real this time, uh, America's Stonehenge demolished after explosion. Uh, the Georgia Guidestones, if you don't know, are these, uh, or they were, these, you can see them here, these very interesting uh, stone, a very interesting stone structure that came about in, in 1980, I believe, uh officially uh the 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 person representing a group the person who paid to erect these very masterfully crafted pieces of stone um is anonymous no one knows who it is um but someone blew it up someone blew up one of the uh one of the slabs here which then resulted in um the rest of the monument being taken down and uh, the way the, this is being covered is interesting. How the Georgia Guidestones be became a magnet for conspiracy theorists. To be fair, um, I highly recommend anyone who is not familiar with the Georgia Guidestones. Um, they have 10 um, commandments of sorts written on them um, that, are, that are very interesting. Um, uh, and I, I won't comment on them right now, um, but they're very interesting. And to leave off on this topic, I recommend to the lifeboats, 
um, our friend who is uh, 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 who's very intrigued by uh, what's occurred. Um, he has some theories as to what probably happened. Um, and uh, I don't necessarily agree or disagree with what Sam has, uh, his name is Sam, with what Sam has put forward. Um, but I did find his investigation into this very uh, appealing, very uh, easy and fun to watch. And um, he provides a number of historical examples to back up um, some of the, uh, the, the possibilities he suggests. So to the lifeboats on Rumble, what happened to the Georgia Guidestones? And ladies and gentlemen, um, without further ado, I want to thank you for joining us here at Rounding the Earth. This has been the first episode of, uh, of what will hopefully be a weekly and uh, long-running news update. Um, this is an experiment for me and for Rounding the Earth, and um, today has definitely been a learning experience for me already. Um, and uh, I imagine from here on out, the format will be even more tightened up. Um, the, uh, the process and the uh, mechanism by which we go through the stories will evolve as we uh, get feedback and as we continue to do more shows. Uh, so in the meantime, thank you for watching. Go to www.roundingtheearth.substack.com and subscribe to the official Rounding the Earth newsletter, which is still truly the core of the Rounding the Earth media uh, uh, machine. Uh, Matthew Crawford is the author of that series, and he is um, uh, very, very uh, intelligent and well-read and talks about interesting things that other people aren't. And that is what Rounding the Earth is meant to do, and I hope you got a bit of that out of this today. And we will see you on Tuesday right here on the Rounding the Earth channel, uh, YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey, um, to discuss uh, a certain virus um, called SARS-CoV-2 with the also intelligent J.J. Cooey. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. And I have been Liam Sturgis, www.liamsturgis.com. And I will see you next week. Mm -hmm.